Welcome to the Arrangers Podcast. I'm Aaron Hedenstrom. And I'm Drew Zaremba. The Arrangers Podcast is dedicated to the insightful discussion of music arranging and composition. What we do takes a lot of hard work and resources. We are asking for support from listeners like you to continue to make this podcast available for everybody. Please consider contributing a monthly donation to our Patreon platform. We sincerely appreciate any contributions you are able to give. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, or leave a review on iTunes. Be sure to send us your questions and feedback to thearrangerspodcast at gmail.com and find out more at www.thearrangerspodcast.com. Let's dive in. I, I actually want to go back to another album that uh, Aaron and I were checking out together. Um, probably uh, one that I really loved is Mirrors of the Mind, uh, your, uh, with, where you incorporated the cello into your uh, small group. Um, and I just wanted to ask if there was a, if it, was it the player, was there a particular player that you had in mind or is it like, no, I really want cello. And then you found the player and you crafted the arrangements, uh, the, the compositions, excuse me, around that. Wanted to talk about that album for just a little bit. Sure. Uh, I, there's probably a, a, I think there's two things that really inspired me to go in that direction. One, I, I went to, um, went up to Banff to the, uh, mm. I remember what, what the program is called, but there's an, you know, an artist, you don't call it an artist colony. I don't know what you call it. Right. But yeah. there's a program <laughs> up there. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was led by Dave Douglas. Uh-huh. Dave was encouraging us to think different in different ways, compositionally. And, uh, he even introduced me to, uh, aleatoric scores and graphic scores and all oh. that kind of stuff. Sure. Wow. Way to inspire improvisation. So, uh, initially I started that band as a way to experiment with that kind of music. So initially all we played was free jazz, you know, uh, or, or as far as free goes, they were, I'd I'd call them guided free improvisations. You know, there were definitely scores, um, but they were, they were weird, right? They might be cartoon drawings or graphs or, you know, ink blotches or whatever, you know, like crazy stuff. Um, and initially the group was clarinet cello percussion and piano later on i switched it to saxophone um but another part of it was i was trying to force myself to play differently at that point as a pianist so i found uh, i was taking lessons with fred hirsch um oh wow you know and fred is a a complete pianist you know yeah uh, you know in a solo context he's he excels, you know, uh, and so it's, I was thinking, okay, what can I do to force myself to, I don't know, incorporate more of the classical tradition into my jazz playing, mm-hmm. mm. to, uh, not be reliant on a bass player to not be walking bass lines, for instance. Right. But just to play fully play the piano. Mm. That was one of the reasons that I got rid of the, uh, the bass in that group. Yeah. But then we did our first gig. And, uh, I remember I was, it was, it was a nice, it was a nice gig. It was in a, a nice little concert hall and I was in the men's room and, uh, standing at the urinal, I heard some guy talking about my music and he goes, man, I don't know what his definition of music is, but it sure isn't mine. And, oh, <laughs> well, he can go piss off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I, it really did make me think, you know, and I was thinking, okay, maybe this band has gone too far, right? And it is uh, too self-indulgent in a, in a way. So then I thought, what if I went the opposite direction? What if I did songs that would really draw the audience in? And that's where I, that's when I wrote that arrangement of uh, the Beatles tune, uh, uh -huh. Black yeah yeah that was a that's a, that was a highlight for me uh, one of them anyways it was beautiful thanks and uh so then on the next gig so i had a few of those and i did a, a, a nat cole tribute i was just thinking intentionally what can i do that you know the audience would recognize that would draw them in and then what i did this was a really interesting lesson you know after having a few of those pieces then we throw in one free jazz piece and mm. it was really interesting after at you know after the concerts the audience would come up to me and they'd say oh my favorite piece was that free piece or whatever huh. you know whatever the title was uh -huh. could i possibly see the score of that you know i i just loved it <laughs> but what a great lesson you know because yeah. it's like, it's almost like you know playing a solo if you play all your dense stuff at the beginning right you're going to lose them uh -huh. You know, mm -hmm. kind of want to keep the audience wanting, you know, or, or or keep it light at first, then hit them with something, right? Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And then, but don't oversaturate them by playing another crazy original, you know. But then introduce another one. So, man, that that was a great learning experience. Wow, for me. that's pretty fascinating. That is, yeah, John. What you're saying reminds me of what John Clayton calls us as composers and arrangers: is that we're we are ear controllers. Um, we want to uh, guide the audience where their tour guide through this music, and we want them to, you know, have the good kind of reaction, and we can manipulate that to a certain degree. Um, yeah. Yeah, mind controllers. Yeah, that, that too. <laughs> I get, man, well, because that really, uh, you know, because you've, you've done a lot of different things, you know, the, the that's definitely, even though it's, even though it's more, quote unquote, you call it commercial, but I think it's really artistic, you know, and, and it blends the two together really beautifully. It's, it's wonderful. Um, I guess, uh, obviously it depends on who the client is, but, um, how do you, what is your, you've, you started talking about it and just elaborate on arranging for yourself or, you know, the art versus arranging for a wider audience and, uh, with that in mind, uh, maybe it, would you would you keep talking about that for just a little bit and how you've explored that on different projects? Huh. Um, I guess the the story that's coming to my mind right now, you know, uh, it's funny. So I sometimes I, I get hired to write a big band arrangement of someone else's composition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It might be a saxophone player that writes writes a tune and then wants me to to arrange it. Um, I gotta say, like sometimes I'm still pretty uncompromising. <laughs> 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 it's you know maybe that's a real character flaw. I'm not sure, right? Just like how I transform Maynard's band, you know. But uh, um, so I'm thinking about this one specific arrangement where the guy wrote this piece and. It was interesting though. The harmony was slash chord harmony, and uh, which was cool. But then he said he wanted the blowing to be a blues, 
And I looked at this thing and I was just like, man, there's no way I'm writing a blues based on this slash armor. That just seems like a cop out, right? Yeah. And so I ended up, you know, I, I really followed my gut and I kept going with the slash core thing and explored it. Um, but then again, I don't know if this chart made it onto his album or not, you know, but <laughs> right. I'm not sure, you know, uh, I'm not really answering your question. Am I drew? I'm Oh no, that's all right. It's yeah. all right. That's, that, that's not the point. The point is we're just chatting about life and music and the weird position that we're often put in as arrangers to figure out what does the music calling for? What am I going to bring to it? And how do I, who is the audience that I'm writing it for? Um, and do I care what they think kind of thing? Um, I do care what the audience thinks. You know, I want, I want them to appreciate the music and draw them in. Uh, but at the same time, um, I think there's a reason that, I don't, that I'm not really a, an arranger for hire so much. You know, mm. I really like to arrange my own, do my own projects that are where I'm sort of dictating the parameters. And mm -hmm. um, that's what I'm most drawn to, I think. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, I'm but, but there is yeah. just because, you know, I, I can because I have a full time teaching gig and yeah. um, mm. I'm really lucky in that way. I, I don't have to take every gig that comes my way, um, either as a player or as a writer, you know, so I can pick and choose. So in that way, I'm very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that actually kind of brings me to a, something I like to ask uh, guests, which is. So you have the teaching job, you have your gigging, you have your writing, you have your family, as you were mentioning. And Drew and I are both married. I have one son who's two and a half years old. So we're kind of both in that position of, okay, we're in that stage of life. How are we going to balance this as life changes and, and grows and evolves and everything? So <clears throat> what, uh, what does that look like for you? It's a great question. you know, And that's, that's always the question that I ask when I get together with with the Rangers that are more established than me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I'll start there. Right. I had a, a really fun conversation with Mike tomorrow. We were both oh. at an all state conference or whatever, you know, yeah. running the bands yeah. at a, uh, out in New Hampshire. And so the two of us were in this hotel and we got to hang out, which is great. And I was picking his mind, you know, um, and he was talking about the transition that he had when he first had kids and how Dennis de Blasio called him up and said, well, those days of, uh, you know, locking yourself in a room and just writing nonstop for an entire weekend, those are done. You know, <laughs> you're going to have to learn now how to write in tiny little blocks of time, you know? And wow. so that's so true. And huh. that's definitely what I experienced, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It's really hard. It's, it's hard to balance it. And uh, I guess one of the things that I've learned is not to beat myself up over it because that can happen, right? You start to say, oh, my, I'm not as productive as I used to be or, you know, I should be, mm. you know, eight big band charts a year and, you know, I'm only getting three out or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that's all fine, right? And I've sort of come to, you know, in some ways I've, I've wrestled with it, and, but I've come to accept it, that I do have these different roles and that they're all important. You know, being a father is really important. Mm. Sure, my marriage doesn't fall apart because I'm on the road and I'm locked in my studio writing music and yeah. that I'm, not, uh, 
you know the mindset when you're writing music where you're like obsessed with something and, yeah. and you're mm-hmm. you're wrestling with this and you're not really there because you know you're sitting at the dining room table and a, a song's going through your head and you're working through a problem, right? <laughs> uh, you know, so it's 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 learning how to do all of that, how to balance things, and and I I can't say I'm a master of it, but. Um, yeah, it's a constant challenge, and and I appreciate that you guys are even asking those questions because that, that's the important thing I think in life, right? It's yeah. uh, you know how do you find that balance of some sort? Because as right. musicians, we tend to be very unbalanced. Right. You know? All yeah. all the musicians really are. It's that's just part of the thing, you know. Um, it's how we get good. Some degree right. of unbalance. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And in some ways, I've been fortunate with the sort of the timetable in my life, right? Like I was, mm. I got married a little bit later, um, and uh, you know, I got tenure before my kids arrived. Okay. So, so that wow. was fortunate, you know, because I couldn't imagine going through the whole tenure process, freaking out about getting enough publications, you know, uh, while wow. I had children, you know, and I was uh-huh. trying to balance all of that. Um, so yeah, it's 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 tough, but. Um, it's a good question. Boy, am I relieved yeah, to hear you say thanks that. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> because I was just talking to Drew last night, kind of like, Drew, yeah. what am I, you know, what am I doing in life? This is just crazy. Like, uh, you know, and it was the same thing you mentioned. I used to be able to sit there all night and get something done, write something. And now it's like nine o'clock. I'm like, oh, I can't do it. I got to get up next, next morning and. You know, right. pour pour a bowl of Cheerios for my kid, and and it's just a different kind of thing. So I I definitely, in, in a lot of ways, I'm relieved to hear you say all of those different aspects are very normal. <laughs> yeah, everything changes, right? Like yeah. from the you, yeah, I would. You know, I used to stay up until three in the morning writing music, but you can't do that when you've got a kid that wakes up at five a.m. Yeah, you know, streaming <laughs> and. You know, then you're like, I'm running on two hours of sleep, and yeah. then you've got sniffles, and you're sick, and it's yeah. just, you just, some some things you have to let go, and, uh, you know, but you, you do find some time, and you get more, you start to learn uh, tricks to become more and more productive with the limited time that you do have. Sure, you know? sure. It was also, uh, you know, knowing that you guys are both North Texas guys, you know, when I was up there, um, I got to hang out with Neil Slater. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I asked him a whole bunch of questions. You know, I said, Neil, so, like, how many charts do you write a year? You know, and he just looked at me. He's like, I don't know, two? You know, for me, <laughs> for me, that was great to yeah. hear that. Yeah. Because I was yeah. image of Neil Slater being the guy that writes, like, I don't know, 15 charts a year, you know? And I thought, oh, I'm such a failure, you know. But uh, but that was cool, you know. And look who he is, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. What are what maybe you, what are some of those tricks that you found? Oh, by the way, thank you for sharing uh, all this step for sharing personal stuff. You know, we love to get into that on the podcast. You know, just to, it's it's we're arrangers, and therefore we are humans. So. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, maybe what are some of those tricks that you found uh, off the top of your head uh, writing in shorter bursts of time like that help you help you do that um, well I guess for starters I should give credit to my wife right in that yeah. uh, mm. it's, we're definitely a team 
and uh, if she knows that I've got a deadline, you know, she'll she definitely works with me. And there might be times where it's like, you know, honey, I I I need I need this time. You know, I got to get away. You know, I got to get this music written. So, um, so she gets it, and so that's part of it. Um, finding that quiet space is important. I've got, uh, you know, I, I basically have two studios. I've got my work office, which has, uh, you know, piano and, and keyboards and everything I need. Um, I also have a separate building. This is, I'm really fortunate in this sense. At, at my house, we have a separate building that has my piano in it. Um, and mm. I can set up a keyboard there. So if I do need to pull a late nighter, I've got a place to go. Nice. Nice. Um, so that helps. Um, but I'm certainly, you know, I, I guess one of the things that I do is um, I think about what tasks I have to do uh, when I'm alone and what tasks I can mindlessly do if I just need to be there or if I need to be somewhere else. So let's say I'm at uh, my daughter's gymnastics class, right? I got a driver mm. and I'm going to be sitting there for an hour, right? I know what kind of things. So I might have two different kinds of to-do lists, right? The kind wow. of things that I would do when I'm sitting gymnastics, right? Even, and knowing that there's, you know, horrible pop music playing as they're doing their flips and stuff. <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, I, it's not like I can think about music, right? right? But I can certainly move notes around on finale, you sure. know, or nice. I can uh, format parts. Hmm. I can do all that kind of stuff. Yes. So kind of thinking ahead as to what can I do where and where do I have that block of time? Gotcha. So wow, oh, that's a great tip. That's fast. That's awesome. I'm here to serve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we we uh, we are fortunate. We've been happy that our listeners audience has been growing and so um as small as it is we know they are it's mighty and so (laughs) we uh we we're we're keen to get into all sorts of things that can help folks so um obviously we're getting a lot out of it too but we're recording it so other people can get a lot out of it as well so thank you hey you're welcome uh speaking of uh releasing music uh, and doing the business side of things, um, you released a lot of music, you know, in your career and continue to do so. Um, how how do you approach that, you know, in terms of funding the music and then also marketing it and kind of that whole process? Man, I don't know if I'm the expert on on that. I'll, I'll I have been successful with grant writing. I'll say that. Okay. Ooh. Through my university job, there. Are, there are grants available to me, um, and I've been mm-hmm. successful in getting that grant funding to to support my creative work. Okay, uh, that's where I've had success. As far as um, promoting music, um, I've yeah, I've learned some lessons over the years. You know, I've I've hired publicists at different points. However, I got to tell you, I've been really disappointed when I have hired someone. Mm. So, wow. When I do have the time, um, so one year, the timing worked out really well where I was on sabbatical, and that allowed me to just, you know, focus on uh, doing the mailings, you know. So I, wow. had, I put together a really extensive list of reviewers, radio 
questions and all that kind of stuff. You know, and I ended up getting, I don't know, I might have gotten 15 good reviews um, with a publicist. I think on the last one, I paid the guy a lot of money and I may have gotten like eight reviews or something. And mm. wow. And they weren't really that, they weren't the ones I was looking for. I was looking for downbeats and I was looking for jazz times and those didn't happen. You know? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, for a variety of different reasons, perhaps, you know. Um, but I do find that you need to take the bull by by the horns yourself. Wow. Possible, because no one cares about your career like uh -huh. you care about your career, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So that would be a bit of a... Um, like you guys, I'm, pro I'm wrestling with what's the next release going to look like. Sure. Is it going to be a physical CD? Is there any need for that? Uh -huh. Is it be uh is it just going to be um you know electronically uh downloadable or whatever uh what is it going to be i don't really know you know um yeah what are your guys thoughts i don't i often want to interview you guys after uh, I <laughs> we're kind of that That's... we're kind of that in between generation where we you know we're millennials but like we're not like oh the internet was always what we knew i guess at least for me uh I grew up with CDs, so you know, for me, it's it's weird talking to younger students and having them be like, you know, oh, who who uses CDs anymore? Or you know, it's all Spotify and YouTube and stuff. And I even had a student last week. I was I was telling him about, oh yeah, I heard this song on the radio the other day. He was like, he's a college student. You you listen to the radio? You know? I was like, well, I was in the car. He's like, just use Spotify. I was like. Okay, <laughs> that's yeah. it's amazing you talk to students. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So I think what I'm starting to realize is that maybe that even just giving up some of the uh, paradigms that I grew up with maybe is is what's wise because. I don't know, to print a CD could cost, you know, a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, depending on how many you order and what kind. And uh, releasing digitally is quite a bit cheaper. And if and if you're going to have if you're going to be sitting on a bunch of CDs and, you know, the amount of people actually using CDs is diminishing. I'm, I'm also questioning the same thing. Again, I'm not quite sure because, you know, there's still somewhat of a symbolism with a physical CD. Yep. You know, major yeah. major labels are still releasing them for people like Justin Timberlake and, you know, but they have a huge budget. So, you know, it, it doesn't cost them as much as it would cost someone like me. But <clears throat> I almost think uh, I had a friend who was like, it almost doesn't count unless you have a video now. Totally. You know, that's, that's another thought. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm thinking about just investing a lot of money in the uh, in, mm. in who's going to be. There's my wife texting me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, investing a lot of money in um, a video crew, uh, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you guys, yep. are, you guys are both really good at that. I've seen the videos on your sites, and uh, you know those look really great. Oh, thanks. Um, thanks, thanks. I, I think it's still important to release CDs, not because they're going to be sold. Uh, that's not because people are going to be using them to listen to, ironically enough. But I think it represents a 
commitment from someone who likes you. It's it's more of a, I'm going to support this person, and I'll do that by buying this product. Um, and so, uh, particularly at concerts, like because I don't think CDs really get sold anywhere except at concerts. And so, um, if you have, even if you just have, uh, even if you just print a hundred or two hundred, and you know, you sell, I don't know, five at a gig, that's still, you know, and if you do that regularly at gigs, you know, then that's good. That's another additional money in your pocket. And it also, more importantly, forms that relationship with that person uh, who, who follows you as an artist, which is so much more like people, we're such a people, a people, people culture. Like we want, people want to follow people that they're almost more interested in the person than the music. And so, um, and when that happens, then they want to do that with their wallets too. Um, and so giving them opportunities to do that without, not just CDs, but uh, t-shirts or um, other ways that they want like, uh, just, they want to be, they want to be known by you, you know, in a way. So it's like, it's, it's different. Uh, even for jazz guys, because we're like, yeah, it's just about the music. But the, for the audience, it's like, no, I want to know who this person is. Mm. Um, and so that's my thought on CDs. But the video, yeah, is every like otherwise, as people need to know about it. And how will they get to know about it? Videos, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's kind of everything. I guess the other aspect would be knowing your audience. Uh huh. Yes. The the latest project that I'm about to embark on I, i'm going to do a bunch of arrangements of hymns oh which would be uh you know performed in in church kind of settings whether it's on tour or whatever but when you start thinking about what kind of people would be attending this yeah uh, the other members of the of the group were saying well those people you know they're you know they might be a little bit behind the times you know where sure. they are <laughs> cds you know yeah so yeah who knows? Oh, yeah, it's interesting. So we were actually going to ask what what your next projects were. So that's a perfect lead in. Um, so what? T- tell us about this project a little bit. Instrumentation. Uh, what inspired it? Uh, well, I will tell you. So over the years, maybe like there over thirty years, you know, I've written a lot of hymn arrangements. You know, mm. I, I go to church, and it's kind of fun. The times where I, I try to. Uh, integrate my faith with music, you know? And, um, so I've written a lot of, a lot of arrangements over the years and that's cost. That's awesome. Yeah. And so at some point I think it would be, I have always thought it would be fun to document those in some way. Um, it was just, who am I going to record it with? I wasn't sure. I wanted to find the right combination. Sure. Uh, I met this, uh, it's a, husband and wife team they're both professors at the university of manitoba ironically which is where i'm from yeah they, uh, oh, wow. you know um but they're and they're much younger than i am uh carl Colhut is his name he's a bass player and his wife is carly epp and she's mm. a singer and uh so i thought man when once when, once i heard them and i knew that we shared a common faith then i thought man this is going to be it this is i know this is going to be a fantastic band you know um so, yeah, it's a kind of a combination of hymns and worship songs, and but all done in a jazz style. Um, wow. I also have, I, so I just did, I just finished a big band chart this summer, and uh, I was telling you guys, I was going through, a, just before we did the interview, right, that I was going through a little bit of a slump 
in my writing mm-hmm. and that your podcast really did help me. It was, it was mm-hmm. while I was writing this piece. So not to get too political, I'll try not to, to take it too far left. Right. But, uh, uh- I remember after the last big election yeah. <laughs> when and, and how I felt, um, you know, I was sitting in church and they sang this song, they will know we are Christians by our love. Mm. And I was sitting there and as it was being sung, I was kind of stewing and I was like, do people know that we're Christians by our love. This doesn't seem very loving, you know, our parents died to a lot of, a lot of things that are going on in our culture, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking about that song and how I could arrange it in such a way to make a really strong statement, you know? So, um, you know, I kind of put it in five, four, it's got this really brooding kind of Elvin Jones loping feel, you know? Yeah. Um, very dark sonorities um and eventually that is i'm going to be collaborating with a visual artist who's going to make uh projections that will coincide with all of this some scripture verses and some different things that could get people thinking it could also start a riot perhaps i'm not (laughs) sure uh uh we'll see so that piece may be included in this album as well, you know. Um, wow. Hmm. Really sure how that's going to work. It's so partly the instrumentation will depend on funding, but we'll sure, see. Sure, sure, sure. That sounds fascinating. That's really that's really awesome. Uh, and how cool that you get to combine multiple things that are important uh, to you, you know, it, and uh, and then put it all into a project. Um, uh, and then the multimedia thing, that's another very 20th, well, we're 21st century now, but like, uh, I, I feel like that's a, not an easy thing to do with jazz because so much of the interaction is between the performers. Um, but, but introducing another element, that's really cool. And, and I think it has, that has some really cool implications, not just for the music and how you release it, but then the live performance and if you tour it and things like that, you know, that has some really, uh, a lot of opportunities to uh, make audiences connect with the music even on a visual level, which is something that we don't usually tap into as jazz musicians. And the way that I, you know, way that we conceived this, you know, perhaps there would be, you know, perhaps a big band would play a few tunes, but the main feature of a performance be that piece and then it would be followed mm. by a roundtable discussion which could include clergy and maybe a sociologist mm. uh, you know Paul wow. the artists and we could really get into this whole conversation about um, you know how Christians could reconcile um, I won't get I won't get into it it'll this will get me into trouble right <laughs> <laughs> We don't mind talking about it, no, but it's, it's, it's yeah, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. Very cool. cool. Oh, I'm looking forward That's to amazing. seeing the project. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's super, that's fascinating. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, Aaron, I, I mean, do, do you have any other things you want to ask or... Um. Uh, I guess we uh, oftentimes asks maybe like what are a, who are a couple of musicians that really either inspired you you know in past phases of your you know development or just in general are just some of your favorite 
most influential writers, players, or really if you have other artists you like or whatever. Yeah, what are you checking out? Uh, well, Jim McNeely has always been mm. what thrills. And to get to work with him in the BMI Jazz Composers Workshop was a real thrill. Yeah. And, you know, I'm still in touch with Jim. Um, we, we've done uh, the numerous concerts of his music at UConn and get to bring him up and then get to hang out with him during that time. Um, so I've, I've learned a tremendous amount from him over the years. Um, recently, we did that project where we did, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this, where it's a, it's a recording with the Swiss Jazz Orchestra, and it is works inspired by the art of Paul Clay. Huh. And that is one of my favorite Jim McNeely albums. Uh, it's it's so deep. Uh, the writing is incredible. Huh. And and I mm. learned just by talking with him about how how he created those pieces. And as you can, I don't know if, how well you know Jim, but like, you know, he's one of those guys. Like he takes a project like that very seriously. So huh. he really, really mm. studied those works. He actually took up painting during that period. You know? Oh wow! Oh my gosh! That's that's hardcore. Oh yeah, he's he's, he's the real deal. Wow. So McNeely's one, uh, I mentioned Mike Holliber as being another important teacher mm -hmm. and big picture issues that that's what I learned from him. Where is a piece going? You know, um, how do you create certain emotions? How, how do you reinforce those ideas? Um, you know, in grad school, I studied with Michael Philip Mossman and uh -huh. that was another terrific experience. You know, I, that was, he was one of the main reasons I went to Rutgers because I love that band OTB and what he was doing with them at that time. Nice. Um, learned a lot from him and he was also just really encouraging. He was a guy that would, uh, he'd take us to his rehearsals. So, you know, he's playing with Jimmy Heath's band, for instance. Wow. He's like, hey, you got to meet my man Earl here. And, you know, Sweet. next thing you know, I'm hanging out with Jimmy Heath. And wow. Nice. So that was really cool. Um, wow. Uh, trying to think what else. Have you guys heard uh, Mike Holliber's latest CD? No, I, I, I have not. So uh, let me think. I got it right here. Um, I'll hold it up for you. I guess on the podcast, they can't see that, right? So it's no, but that's all right. Gotham Jazz Orchestra Hiding Out. And uh, that's a fantastic one. Really like it. Huh, cool. Um, it's not music you can play. For your spouse while you're driving the car or uh <laughs> or while you're washing the dishes it's it's very you know it's very intense huh. um vince nice. is another one that i i really admire and uh i know drew you've had an opportunity to work with him. i i love vince i love everything about vince and uh we actually so we um we were at the isjack conference uh this year and we actually got to do a short interview with him. We're hoping to do a follow-up. Uh, um, so we'll be releasing that uh, very soon, I hope. Um, but uh, yeah, I got to uh, do the Metropole workshop with him uh, in 2017, um, which was a life-changing thing for sure. Um, yeah, he's, he's, yeah his, his whole concept is... Uh, amazing <laughs> just how he thinks about form and energy and moments and building to moments and um and how he does it in his very signature way um just how much he invests into the the drama of the piece um and taking that on its own and 
twisting the perspective on it. So it's always artistic, but always approachable. It's amazing. I really appreciate you guys interviewing him because I, I will really look forward to hearing that. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a short, we did like, and we're, we're, you know, hopefully we're releasing soon, but we did like little short interviews with Vince, uh, you 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 talked with Christine Jensen, um, Darcy James. Christine, I I was gonna wonder, I was wondering if you did. Um, that's cool. And, I did a and, of course, prank on Christine. <laughs> Whoa! Really? Are you? Is it is it uh, good to share? <laughs> it's too good not to share. Right? Okay. <laughs> yes. So um, okay, so I we were we went to undergrad together at McGill. Uh huh. And uh, Darcy Argue also went to McGill, but he was there after us. But Naturally. Yeah. Anyway, um, I called up Christine and disguised my voice a little bit and pretended I was Rob McConnell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I, I offered her a, a week-long gig at the top of the Senator Jazz Club in Toronto. Uh-huh. Oh, my and, God. But... I was I was actually very mean because I knew that she didn't double on any instruments, right? So she only played saxophone. So mm -hmm. first I offered her the gig and I went through all the parameters and made it just sound un unbelievable. It was like the perfect <laughs> gig. Hey, it was great. We were putting her up in a hotel room. Then I said, now, so uh, you do play stick, right? And stick meaning clarinet. She uh -huh. goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like... Uh, well, no, I, I, I don't. Okay, well, that's only two charts. I said, what, so, but soprano sax, you've got a soprano sax. She goes, well, I could borrow one. And I get, wait a second, are, are you not concerned about intonation or you don't think <laughs> problem? I'll be okay. She goes, said, and you'll, and you'll have a flute, of course. And then I could hear her voice start to quiver. And she was like, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't play flute. And, and I went down the list of all these. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then I said, uh, who is Gordon Foote was the head of our, our jazz uh -huh. program at, at McGill. I said, who is this Gordon Foote to recommend someone that, that just only plays saxophone? You don't play any doubles. What? And I said, you've got a lot of work to do if, you, if you're ever going to work with someone, I don't know, on the level of Earl McDonald someday. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when she knew. At that point, yeah, she's like, I don't think I will ever speak with you again. That's funny. But, yeah. oh, oh, man. That's a but, committed oh, prank right there. We're good friends. Wow. Yes. That's that awesome. Is. In fact, we're playing one of her pieces at, uh, at one of our upcoming concerts. So. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, cool. she's a beautiful. So y'all are on speaking terms, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that that would be soul crushing. <laughs> if, uh, I, I'm putting myself <laughs> in her shoes. But that was that was the kind of stuff that we did back in those days. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. <clears throat> that's wow. Funny. That's great. Thanks oh, for sharing man. that. That's uh -oh. a perfect story. Uh, I think perfect story to end on. Sure. We, we've just had a wonderful chat and uh, we just want to thank you for sharing your time and your experience and uh, your story with us uh, it's it's really great um, we uh, we look we really look forward to sharing this with uh, with everyone who listens so thank you Earl great keep up the good work you guys I really appreciate it thank you very much yeah, yeah. thanks for listening to this episode of the arrangers podcast 
If you enjoyed what you just heard, you can support us directly with a small donation on Patreon or by sharing this episode with a friend. You can hear lots of other interviews, score studies, and fun discussions at www.thearrangerspodcast.com or wherever you find podcasts. Bye for now and keep writing.